Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. And I think you have to have like an innate technical curiosity to want to jump into this space because you can't just go on Stack Overflow and look up the answer to your problem. Many of these problems that we're solving are unprecedented. And so you need an engineer actually that really loves getting into the weeds, diving into root causes of problems and coming up with these elegant but commercial solutions. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. These days, the world of Web3 seems to be everywhere. When you turn almost any corner on the internet right now, you'll hear someone talking about cryptocurrency, NFTs, DAOs, and if you're new to the wide world of crypto, that learning curve can be pretty steep. Maybe you've even wondered at some point, hmm, should I look into building a career in crypto? If that's you, then you're in the right place for this episode. Lewis Tuff, VP of Engineering at Blockchain.com, joins us to share his experiences and perspectives on building a career in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. We cover his transition from traditional finance and tech to crypto, how to shift your mindset from centralized to decentralized and other helpful perspective shifts, qualities that lead to success in the space, tactics to help you gain exposure and experience with the technology, and why it's not too late to start your career in crypto. Let me introduce you to Lewis. Before joining blockchain.com, Lewis was the second engineering hire at Revolut, scaling the team to 50 plus and spearheading the initiative to bring cryptocurrencies to Revolut. He was included on Business Insider's 35 Under 35 in fintech. Lewis began his career building trading and risk technology systems at Goldman Sachs and UBS. Enjoy our conversation with Lewis Tuff. Two really short stories I wanted to, to share just to set some context for where I think I'm coming from into this conversation, which is very much the role of like an outside observer within the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. And so I'm like interested, but I'm definitely intimidated. There seems to be like a big, I guess, knowledge leap to make to become familiar in the space and to, to get involved. And so I recently had like a big I'm missing out moment because this week, literally, I was telling my dad, you know, we're doing this interview and he goes, Oh, yeah, like I own Bitcoin. And I'm like, what? And he goes, oh, yeah, I also own Dogecoin. I'm like, Dad, are you kidding me? It took you a year and you've never told me this? And so I was like, okay, I'm definitely missing out. My dad is involved in this space now. And I'm like, what? So that was like yeah. a, a huge moment. Uh, and then the other was this week also is catching up with an engineering leader. He lives in Europe and he's kind of going through a career transition. And so he's been working mainly with like big institutions, like big tech companies. And he told me like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm exploring blockchain and really interested in cryptocurrency and, and what that means. And so I'm trying to figure out, one, is it actually interesting to me? Or two, how do I even break into that space? And I was like, oh man, like these are signals that I am definitely missing out. And so I think part of the end of this conversation is like, I think there's a lot of people in this space who probably feel the same way that I do in terms of like, am I missing out? What am I missing out on? But if I want to get involved and if I am interested in, how do I do that? So first off, really excited to talk with you about that. Great. You start off within the investment making world and then 
you moved over to Revolut as the second engineering hire. And then since that point, you became an engineering leader. And then over the last few years or so, now becoming the VP of engineering at blockchain.com. So you've had a, also a, a fascinating journey that a lot of people may also relate with in terms of not necessarily being interacting with the space and now you know playing very much a big role in it. I guess, Lewis, the perfect place to begin is like, how the heck did you get into the blockchain and cryptocurrency space? Can you tell us your journey as an engineering leader and how you got involved here? Yeah, sure. Will do. So I guess it starts, as you say, in the investment banking traditional finance world, coming out of university, getting sucked into that space. They had like great career stands and people coming around to university campuses telling you all about kind of the low latency architectures, high throughput volume, and really kind of solving hard technical problems. So I started off my journey there. But having spent uh, a few years at, at both UBS and, and Goldman, started to really think about, okay, I'm not really doing much related to my academics and my, maybe my personal passion projects. Where else can I apply myself and really kind of impact more people at, at scale? And at Goldman, one of the things that kind of triggered me to get into actually figuring out and finding out about the Bitcoin white paper was like in those heavily regulated environments, there is not much that you're able to invest in. And if you want to buy a single stock, it has to go through an approval process. You have to have a brokerage account that's been pre-approved and there's only like one option and it's paper-based and there's no digital version or mobile app. And so I came across this asset, Bitcoin, and people were talking about it, read the white paper, and I was like, hey, I should definitely get exposure to this and try it out firsthand. And from there, I became a little bit of evangelist to all my friends and was just telling them at every opportunity, hey, this is really exciting. This is the future. You should try to say, even though my first attempt at getting some uh, exposure, I had to like send funds through like three different accounts and then jump through all the hoops to finally actually buy my first Bitcoin. That was around the time where I was thinking about my own engineering future. And I had this opportunity to join kind of a startup and I hadn't really considered joining the startup space before. Wasn't really aware of many of the opportunities that were available there and the kind of diverse range of problems that people are trying to tackle. And I got really excited by, met the uh, co-founders of Revely at the time. They just had hot desks in a co-working space. And they're telling me about they want to build this travel card, fee-free FX, anywhere in the world, and really make it more accessible to travel at scale without having to think about your currency at any point in time. So lowering the barriers cross borders. And I, that triggered in my mind, like, hey, hang on a minute. If they can do this for foreign exchange, why can't I do this for cryptocurrencies? So I, the first thing I did within the first month of being there was create this proposal on how we can add Bitcoin into this banking product. CEO loved it. Unfortunately, the regulator at the time was not quite ready for us to embark on this word and wonderful world and mission. This was in 2015. And so it got parked for a couple of years. And January 2017, ETH starts rising from $4 to 12. Bitcoin starts gaining some traction from a couple of hundred dollars to like a thousand. I turned to the CEO and I'm like, Nick, this is the time to do it. Like, we're going to miss the bandwagon. We need to jump on this. It still wasn't a core proposition of the company, right? We were building out this challenger bank. We're trying to reinvent and innovate how you interact with your money globally and create this kind of cross-border account. Adding in cryptocurrencies still was unheard of. Around that time, you had the Netflix documentaries on Silk Road. That kind of got a lot of people scared about this shady underworld that they never heard about before. And again, a lot of people in 
incumbents were very much kind of worried about this advent of this technology that potentially was fueling this underbelly of society. So what did I do? I decided I'll just build it anyway, but I'll do it in my own time, <laughs> not on company time, evenings, weekends, and I'll just, I paired up with a mobile engineer. We just built the whole thing end to end and spent a lot of that kind of year convincing everyone, colleagues, investors, the board, partners that, hey, this wasn't going to blow up the company. This was like a managed risk and actually is the start of something much greater than like the company itself. So yeah, we fortuitous timing launched it in Q4 of 2017. Overnight, that kind of 10x all of the, the numbers, revenue, users, engagement, activation, you name it. And uh, yeah, it got me on the radar of uh, Peter Smith at Blockchain.com who reached out and we had a few conversations around what Blockchain.com were doing. I was a longtime user of Blockchain.com. I used Explorer, I used the wallet for many years and was kind of yeah, excited to find out, okay, what's on the roadmap for the company? And he said, hey, why don't you come on board? We want to bridge the gap between this crypto native world and experience and traditional finance. And your experience at Revolut is kind of applicable here as we kind of embark on this more regulated mission. And kind of, I get to go all in on cryptocurrencies. So he actually asked me the question at the time was like, hey, Lewis, are you ready to go all in? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, I, I hesitated for a moment and I was like, wow, yeah, that's, that's a big question. Risk everything. Let's, let's do this. I mean, I, I think that I've been following space for a long time is moving fast and yeah, I'm a big believer in, like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. In this case, the domain knowledge I had on cryptocurrencies and this one colleague of mine, we knew the most about the space within the context of the company I was in at the time. And I really wanted to be around people that knew way more than I did and gone far deeper into the space than I had. And so for me, it was kind of a no-brainer to then jump in, join people who had been in the space kind of since inception, and, and really, we're trying to build a lot of really interesting technology on top of this new set of protocols. I have so many follow-up questions, Lewis. Jerry, it also looks like you have a lot of follow-up questions. So I can open it up for you, for you first. The question, like, are you ready to, to go all in on this? That's a really effective and interesting question to, you know, convince someone to join. Because it's, although it sounds intimidating, but it actually it feels it's very inspiring and encouraging. Is that how you feel, Luis? No, I, I agree. I think that it really kind of put in perspective, what was it that I really wanted to do here? And where do I, did I think that I could drive most value by focusing my time and, and energy? And so the question is a clarifying question rather than one of like intimidation. So no, for me, yeah, I think it's effective. And I think that I often find myself asking the same question to many candidates and, and colleagues now. And it, it really kind of, yeah, gets people to think for a second, hang on, yeah, actually, what do I want to do here and how do I spend my time effectively? I love that. So related to that question, you know, you shared that you were an early evangelist to your friends. And so I think one of the questions that I, I had related to like finding the answer to the are you ready to go all in question, what were some of those principles or dynamics around blockchain that, that really resonated with you that's like, this is it? Yeah, great question. So for me, I guess the underlying thesis and, and ethos now for, for myself and one of the key principles is around democratization of finance. And so like really making financial infrastructure and the economy more accessible on a global scale. And so that was one of the reasons for joining Revolut, right? Accessing uh, a cross-border account with no effects, you're not limiting or restricting who can jump on board. And basically cryptocurrencies are doing that on a much larger scale. 
And they're really flipping all of the traditional financial models on its head to think, okay, if we could rebuild this from scratch, how do we do it more efficiently, more effectively, more transparently, and for lower cost? And so for me, that's like the driving factor behind my decision model now on my life and investments and my career. It's like, how do I make finance more accessible using technology effectively? And for me, that's like now a personal passion to ensure that no matter where you are in the world, you should be opened up to the same type of opportunities. And it still seems a little disturbing that like, just because you were born in a certain country, you can't get a certain bank account or you can't transact in a certain currency or you have like capital controls on your own money and how much you can withdraw on a daily basis. Or you have to pay like 20% of your, the remittance, like all of those things. Exactly. And and there's like, there's no option, right? They have to go to their convenience store. They're going to take this huge cut. A lot of people aren't aware of the spreads. The the convenience store or the board exchange might say, hey, we charge zero fees, but then our spread is like 300 bits or something or like a, a ridiculously wide. And so there's all these kind of very obscure mechanics that, that are at play. And, and I think the consumer has not been put first uh, during this process. And I think, yeah, cryptocurrencies helps change that. It's like putting the power and control back into the individual's hands. And a lot of innovation is getting built off the back of that. Mm-hmm. I think this is something that a lot of people relate to and resonate with is like the early pitch you got for your first job out of college was like, you'll be able to work on really hard technical problems. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people, like a lot of traditional software companies, that's the thing is like, you'll come here, you'll work on this really hard technical problem. It's gonna be a great experience for you to grow. For for like blockchain problems, would you consider them harder or are they like a different type of difficulty? Is it a different class of, of difficulty within that scale? Well, I think like any industry or any company, you have a, a wide spectrum of problems. So if you're referring to working on the crypto native kind of first principle approach, understanding the protocol, understanding the life cycle of a transaction, understanding how to kind of really build on top of the EVM, the Ethereum virtual machine, working at that kind of low level does require a subject matter expertise and does require a lot of education and iteration to really understand how to do that effectively. But then equally, we need engineers also that are, are building web services that can scale and, and are stateless and, and can keep up with demand, right? A lot of the space uh, will benefit from many different profiles and skill sets of engineers because like accessibility is key here. So there are a lot of really hard technical problems to solve, but not every engineer needs to work on those because actually creating a great, delightful product experience where you've abstracted away all that complexity is equally as hard in my view, right? And and whilst from a computer science perspective, it might not be a hard technical problem from actually from a product perspective and like how you create that abstraction effectively, how you articulate to a user and make it intuitive, how you ensure that they can recover their funds at any point, right? And don't lose them because they forgot to back up their mnemonic phrase. Like all these problems actually uh, require a, a lot more experience and skills and thinking than just kind of solving hard mathematical problems. I really appreciate that it's a different degree of difficulty, but like the equal impact that that has, like a a different class of difficulty. So related to like just the different models, I'm really curious about like, you know, most people listening are are engineering leaders. I wanted to kind of dive into like how blockchain or crypto companies are, are different from other sort of software companies. And does it require a different way of thinking as an engineering leader? Like, are there different sort of mental models that you have to flip? I would just love to know, like, is there a leadership paradigm that changes in this industry? Yeah, I think the key things that I kind of live by and assess with internal employees and and colleagues, 
but also prospective candidates. One of those principles is like technical curiosity. And I think you have to have like an innate technical curiosity to want to jump into this space because you can't just go on Stack Overflow and look up the answer to your problem. Many of these problems that we're solving are unprecedented and not many companies, if any, have solved them before. And so you need an engineer actually that really loves getting into the weeds, diving into kind of root causes of problems and coming up with these elegant but commercial solutions. And so I think that kind of leads me to the next piece, which is in our space that is moving so fast, then there's such a vast wealth of knowledge and complexity that is growing day by day. You have to be hyper-focused. And so you have to choose your key areas of interest, then maybe have a few kind of passion projects where you're like, want to follow the trends. But you have to get comfortable with the unknown and comfortable with chaos because you can't keep on top of everything. And I think like some of the individuals that we've hired that come from maybe more traditional companies and backgrounds, they find this transition quite difficult because they're used to working in a company where they can understand the whole stack end to end. They can understand all the technology and all of the flows and all the user journeys and all the different products. And they know who they're competing with because there's established players in the market. And so they're always kind of looking at and iterating their product based on how the competition is moving. Whereas here, you have like an infinite array of permutations of different products, services, utilities, tokens, exchanges, brokerage, DeFi, NFT. There's just like so many of these different products and features that are trending and becoming popular and being used that you really have to decide as a company, what is your core focus? And then ensure that you have accountability and ownership within the team and empower those individuals to step up and drive within their domain area. And so it's really like carving out those kind of domain area experts, making sure you have a team that is kind of cohesive around those key pillars, and then giving them the freedom to innovate and, and drive uh, value. What also stands out to me about like some of the, the team dynamics is it surprises me how lean some of the, the teams are that are building applications on top of the blockchain. I was just doing some research around the entity DSO and what they're doing. And so they're providing, yeah. so you might be able to explain this a little bit better. Again, my understanding within the blockchain and cryptocurrency world can be no more than superficial here. But from my understanding, like they're building the overarching technology and the blockchain itself. And a lot of other players are coming in, not related to DSO, building apps on top of their blockchain. And the teams involved, they have only like a dozen folks like within their team that are building up the that, but so like yeah. the leanness to be able to build out some of these applications and, and technologies, I think to me is really surprising. I think what you're seeing there is when you get highly proficient and, and capable engineers working around a problem they're passionate about and are completely aligned on the mission and product they're building, you can drive real value. And that, that's kind of uh, a compound effect. And it's actually something that we, we're following in terms of our hiring practices. So many of our competitors have thousands and thousands of employees we're still in a couple of hundred range. We're just over a hundred engineers right now in the organization. And we're a little bit more methodical about who we hire and how we hire because we'd rather have a smaller set of very high impact individuals than a much larger set of generalists that maybe are, are delivering less value, right? So we're, we're looking for those high impact, high leverage. I mean, they're referred to as many names that uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave out because it's kind of <laughs> an overloaded term at this point. And, who knows what a 10x engineer really is. But a lot of people use these terms to describe kind of high impact individuals. I think what it's about actually is not these solo individuals that are, are great in, in their own right. I think it's like 
the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. And so if you have a team of engineers that are really aligned and at our similar proficiency levels, then you can really get a compounded effect and a much greater output. And so, yeah, all of our teams actually are, are between kind of both cross-functionally and functionally around, between five and 10 engineers. Any more than that, it becomes hard, especially in a remote environment. Jerry, it looks like you got a question. Yeah, I'm really curious to dive into the, the different ways of those, like a small team of highly capable individual with strong curiosity and can move fast versus like your competitors have much larger team, more resources. Sort of diving into that to see what are the differences you notice on day-to-day basis on execution for those two teams. I think, look, you need to have a good balance, even in a smaller company, like relatively like ours, a couple hundred people, you need to have this balance of long-lived teams that are focused on the core platforms. So that's like modular architecture, shared services, or libraries and frameworks that are reused. So these are like the engineers that are enabling the iterative process and the more feature-based development, which is generally shorter time-box projects. So you need to make sure that every functional team has some kind of core uh, set of individuals that are just focused on enabling your shipping cadence to continue to grow. And so that's kind of how we set things up here, where on mobile, we have a core team. On backend, we have a core team. Web, we have a core team. And these individuals are focused on the architecture, on the component libraries, on, 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 say, the frameworks, shared services. And that enables you then, whilst they are kind of moving at a slower cadence, they're building the robust foundations of which everyone else then can iterate on top of. And I think then with the feature engineers or product engineers that are often called, we're able to pull together cross-functional teams, full stack, around a particular feature. Like recently, we launched recurring buys. And so you can bring those full stack engineers together to deliver on that one particular feature. And you can do that very quickly because they have the foundations, right? They have the wallet. They have the ability to do pay in, pay out, ability to swap. Like all those other components have already been built by other team members. And they're just building on top of that an additional layer of complexity and business logic that we then package up as a product feature. So I think that's kind of how we've tried to um, maintain that, that balance so that you're not too heavily focused on execution at all costs, and you're not so focused on making sure you have a, a perfect architecture, which then hinders or impedes your ability to ship. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Lewis, I'm trying to wonder, like, how do you change somebody's paradigm from thinking centralized to thinking decentralized? And does that paradigm change how you approach managing or leading an engineering team in terms of how you approach the problems or the feature sets that you're building? How does somebody make that cognitive leap to go from centralized to decentralized thinking? And then does that have an impact in terms of how you set up and lead your engineering team? Yeah, that's interesting. I think that straight off the bat, the the biggest difference between kind of centralized thinking and having this kind of walled garden versus decentralized is interoperability. It's like opening up 
access to your platform and having a mindset where you're building a great developer first environment, right? Because ultimately what you want to do is lay the foundations for which other projects, other teams can build on top of. As engineers are thinking about the projects we're building and features that we're developing, where there are opportunities to partner with other projects and offer great utility to our teams, we like to do so. So we actually, you mentioned DSO, that's a, that's a company and organization we partnered with and, and did their launch of uh, BitCloud before they rebranded to DSO. And, and BitCloud is one application of many in their marketplace. But I think for us, what we look to do is ensure that we take a very kind of API-driven approach. I think Stripe has like best-in-class APIs, and I love to use that as a reference for our engineers. And really kind of thinking about, okay, we don't need to build everything full stack because there are a lot of opportunities here to partner resisting infrastructure companies, protocols, dApps, and anything in between. So how can we leverage that to best offer a, a rich product experience to our customers? And so for example, if we were to decide and try and predict even which technology was going to win or be the leader, I think we'd always be behind. And so again, it plays into this vision of being the most interoperable and accessible company because, for example, with NFTs, that's a hot topic this year, and many people are now finding their first experience with cryptocurrencies is actually buying some artwork, a lyric, some music, accessing some game. And what's interesting there is that most people know and have heard about OpenSea, but there are many other NFT marketplaces out there. The difference is they're built on different chains. And so when we think about this problem of like, oh, do we integrate with one of these providers or do we create something that is interoperable? We're always going for the latter. So it's like thinking through, okay, if we want to be decentralized, for me, that really means how do we create the greatest accessibility to the projects that are out there in the space and provide that as a product to our customers. And so when we're thinking about building this NFT marketplace, which kind of was announced a few weeks ago, we're thinking about, okay, how do we build out a product experience that is cross-platform, fully interoperable, and gives the user the greatest feature richness possible without kind of over-indexing on one and kind of assuming they're only ever going to trade on Ethereum or some other chain. I think that paradigm of interoperability, I think, helps make that really clear. Is that like if you're trying to make a transition into the industry, understanding that the things that you're working on are probably going to be optimized for interoperability. And so coming in and thinking about that is probably a good frame of reference to start with. Yeah. And, and the great, great thing is with like the decentralized web and, and Web3, like many of these projects are built in the open. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing these huge companies getting built overnight where all of their software is available on GitHub. And so if you really want to understand the mechanics and build on top of it, you can dive in there and go through and understand how they're building it, why they're making certain decisions, and even contribute back, which is something that yeah, some of the team members also do to help kind of improve the community and, and improve the industry at a whole. So with that, like with a lot of the source code being available on GitHub, is that a place that you would encourage somebody who is curious about learning more about the space to say, if you want to see what's going on, go look at some of the open source projects there to get exposure? Oh, definitely. I think this is a great resource. And you can set yourself uh, a mini project, right? Create your own mini blockchain. I mean, there's many of these tutorials actually available on GitHub. Or just look at some of the more simpler implementations available. And really kind of understand what are the building blocks of a blockchain? How does it all work? How does it fit together? 
and, and what is securing your transaction and store of value and, and, and why is that being relied upon at scale? And so, yeah, GitHub, I think, is an invaluable resource. And it's actually also a great sourcing tool. I mean, we actually have hired a number of engineers through their contributions to our projects. All of our wallets are open source, and you can see full source code for all clients, Android, iOS, and web. And we, yeah, we had one engineer recently that we hired who for the last year has been sending us PR requests of a PR request of a PR request. And in the end, we're like, wow, we just have to hire this individual. He's like <laughs> a prolific contributor to our code base, probably contributing more code than some of the internal employees. <laughs> and so we're like, yeah, let's hire him. And so we ended up hiring this individual and they joined us a few months ago. So it's also, yeah, a great way of actually finding great talent. And I think, yeah, I would recommend anyone to try and one, use it as a reference and, and resource to learn the mechanics and, and core concepts. But two, try and contribute because that actually helps to kind of build your discipline, your muscle memory, and, and really understand the stylistic points of what does it mean to build great software at scale? How do you architect it? How do you write great comments, great tests? Like all of the kind of best practices of software development is forced upon you when you contribute to someone else's code base because they have very strict guidelines that you have to follow. So I think it's like a very quick, accelerated way of learning the ropes and understanding what works and what doesn't. For engineering leaders that are thinking about jumping into the crypto space and managing engineering teams, uh, I think one question that we have in their mind is that, do I have to be an expert in the domain to be able to effectively manage a team? Because engineers are, are the domain experts. So curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's something that I thought about a lot recently as we kind of expand the team very fast and I need to hire in more and more engineering managers and leaders that can really help me to scale and grow the organization. And I think the key thing that I've come to think about and realize during the assessment is that there are definitely some teams where deep domain expertise is required. And I think, for example, we have an exchange, it's low latency architecture, so having someone go in that's never built anything that has these tight constraints of microsecond round trip times and is built on-prem in C++, it'll be hard for someone building kind of web services in Node to jump into that environment, right, and manage that team effectively. So I think there are cases like that where subject matter expertise really matters. And on the crypto side, there's crypto native teams that are building out on top of the protocols or, or working with the protocol teams directly where yes, it would be hugely beneficial if you understood and have done some work with some of these chains. But I think generally speaking, that's not the case. So I think what, what I look for and what we look for is this innate curiosity. You need to have done some research, got your hands dirty, and really understood the core concepts. And, and, and even if you just take, say, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and you just understand what is the key differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum, what are the main similarities that will start kind of driving these key core concepts? Like how does the accounting model differ between Ethereum and, and, and Bitcoin? Understanding that actually then dives you down this rabbit hole of like understanding a transactional model, understanding how you can pull balances. Oh, it's actually pretty complex on Bitcoin to reconstruct your balance on chain because of all the unspent transactions you have to pull. So I think like you don't need to be an expert in every protocol. There's far too many and I am definitely not an expert in every protocol, but you have to have enough of the fundamental knowledge to understand where the challenges are and where the technical complexity is 
So when you're building these products on top of these protocols, you can better size up and estimate the effort required, the team composition required, and the roadmap ahead. And so, yeah, having this technical curiosity, understanding the constraints of the technology you're building upon, and really then thinking through, okay, where are the interesting challenges? Where would I like to spend my time? And what are some of the products that I've used and how do they work? I think just to highlight another different part of like the paradigm is what you mentioned is that like it's not just about servicing your company, but it's also about supporting the entire ecosystem of the Ethereum network. You're not just optimizing for your own app, but you're also trying to optimize and support the entire network. And so I think that type of, of optimization is really interesting. To me, it seems like the ability to get experience here is more accessible than getting experience with the co-base of, of most other companies. Yes. <laughs> like that, that, that's wild. So I was wondering if you had like other common pathways that people get in, into the world of, of crypto, but also I think for an engineering leader specifically, is that pathway different? Or would you recommend get some access and exposure to the technology first? And then like, is that pathway for them to become an engineering manager or an engineering leader within a crypto company different than somebody who's necessarily just engineering and working on the code? Well, look, I, I actually recommend the same kind of materials, whether it's books, blog posts, decision models, or, or frameworks to the engineering manager and technical leads here at blockchain.com as I would at any other company. What does that mean? It means actually that the framework of how you run an effective high-performance team doesn't necessarily change but understanding the principles of the technology you're working with and who you need to hire into those teams. I think the team composition is key here. The mindset is key. And then having this kind of appreciation of how you're building, as you say, and contributing towards the space and not just the company's tech stack is, is super important. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that you have to kind of rethink uh, your whole approach to how you build, manage, and scale teams. I think it's more you tailor it to the space because there are a lot of opportunities there. There's a lot of accessibility from projects. And so you want to encourage your engineers to be curious. And so I think like some companies don't want you exposing any of the internals of what you're building, right? And even just at like a high level component level or architectural diagram, they just obfuscate everything, remove all names, remove any kind of technical details. So when you see somebody's presentations, you're like, okay, well, I, I didn't really know what's going on. It's just one box in a couple of hours, and that doesn't really tell me anything. <laughs> so I think like there's ways as a leader that you can actually help your teams to contribute back, both technically through code and working with like token or um, projects, and through just speaking and, and like doing podcasts, doing videos, pushing out blog posts, and being kind of more open and transparent about what we're doing here, how we approach problem-solving, technical architecture, system design, and how we work with in the community to actually drive value. And I think that those are kind of key qualities and things that are encouraged and advocated. And if someone wants to speak at a conference or wants to kind of take something that we've done internally and talk about it publicly, I'll help them do that. Because I think it's important to be able to chat about the kind of key things you're doing. And ultimately, it, it helps to drive value in the space, right? If someone else then learns from your approach and improves it, you can then learn from their improvement and hopefully take another inspiration yourself, right? So there's like this paying it forward mentality, which I think is super important here. And it's kind of driving the whole ethos of the space from the beginning. And yeah, it's something that I personally live by. That is huge. I just want to make sure we acknowledge that because I think like the having a pay it forward mentality at the like very foundations of the technology is so different 
than I think a lot of other spaces that we're seeing. So continuous, but I was just like, that to me is like, whoa. Look, I, I think that more than ever, there's, there's real value in creating content and, and being able to share knowledge. And, and the crypto industry is, is a fun space to work within because people are passionate about the space. They do become evangelical and fanatical, but that means actually they are trying to kind of spread the word to ensure that other people benefit from it, whether that's technically, operationally, whether that's providing utility. And so there's just a lot of people now that are, are generating this content. There's loads of podcasts, loads of blog posts. A number of members of my team actually have extremely successful YouTube channels with hundreds of thousands of subscribers. They managed to find time on weekends to do that. All kind of crypto-related content. And that's, that's hugely beneficial because the space is still nascent. You're still early. If you want to get in now, you're still early. I think that's kind of something to remind people that I was at an event the other day talking with other engineering leaders and many of them were like, oh, I've, I've missed the boat now. It's too late. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You have really misunderstood the space. So that went on to kind of an, an hour conversation about why they're not early and actually why there's so much growth opportunity here. If you get in now, there's still so few people, engineers, leaders, companies still in the space relative to all of software engineering, or even relative to like fintech, relative to like one specific domain of technology that's kind of grown over the last few decades, we're super early. And so I think that no one should be put off about jumping in. There are many projects, many teams, small and large, going through their own journeys. And yeah, you can get started by just contributing and volunteering your own time and learning the ropes. And, and that can then lead to an offer of employment. I have a selfish question to ask about blockchain because you mentioned the paying forward mentality, which is really critical for the space and also for communities as well. I see a very interesting relationship between the technology, the space, and also community building. What's your take how those two can help each other or how those, the blockchain technology and community, are there ways they're going to merge or like... Can we use, for example, blockchain to reinforce or build a better community? Yeah, look, I think there are a number of projects that are focused on this problem, like DSO organization. They want to create a new social platform that isn't a revenue-generating centralized model for a single entity, but actually is giving back rewards to content creators that have great followings that are interested in their kind of engaging content. And so I think it's really kind of changing the approach and, and that ultimately then is has a ripple effect. It changes the community because the incentive alignment is different. And so I think there are many people that want to contribute because they genuinely believe in the technology and space. There's others that are doing it because now the incentives are more aligned, right? And and they realize that actually they don't have to work nine to five in a traditional uh, role or company. They can make money by putting out podcasts, doing Twitch live streams, by like speaking at, at events by contributing code, right? There's like many different ways now because of the internet and because now this kind of currency or economy that's built on top of the internet that's evolved, that you can sustain your life and meet really interesting people and connect with peers halfway around the world and build something together that ultimately is impacting uh, users globally. I think that's a really exciting prospect. And so, yeah, the community building is extremely important. I think that you've seen that with like the most trending projects. And you've seen that with the likes of kind of Dogecoin and Elon, and then you've got Shibu and like many other dog-related coins that have become trendy and, and start spiking. 
it's all community driven. And yeah, that is purely speculative, but it does actually show the power of how the in internet is a, a great leveler. It brings people together very quickly. And if they all take action, decide to move in the same direction, that creates waves. And that's super exciting to see and play out. I've been so fascinated by like that space of community because like the big news like this week as we're recording this is Rivian just went public and they reserved some equity for for people who were early adopters and pre-ordered their cars. In a lot of ways, like now, like those people are evangelists for Rivian and they're so excited and now they get to participate in like the success of that company. In a lot of ways, like the implications for creators, I think is so fascinating to be able to engage and, and have like more of an aligned community. So I think like those elements are, are really exciting. And like, and Jerry, so I, I, I like wrote this down in one of our notes as like a joke, but maybe we follow this, maybe we don't. But like, if we had a, an NFT as a ticket for like our ELC summit, and that was like access, but then it's like something that people could collect and hold on to for, for years to come. And the, the value of that continues to grow and maybe like build off of something like that. But that was something that I thought was like so fun in a way to engage people in a different way, but aligns their participation with you. This is like, my brain has blown up a lot this week, Lewis, preparing for our conversation. I've <laughs> changed a lot of my mental models for this, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, NFTs are fascinating. Like there's a lot of speculation with like artwork right now, but as you say, there are many real world use cases and applications. Some of the most interesting ones in, in, in my mind, one article that I saw was around the pharmaceutical industry and how clinical trials now potentially self-fund by selling NFTs of their early research. And then those contributors are hoping that those clinical trials turn into some revelation and the output is then a new medical approach, whether that's uh, medicine itself or just a, a new way of, of diagnosing a particular ailment or illness. And I think that's super fascinating because traditionally in the medical field, funding has been kind of top down, right? There's grants available you have to apply for, there's limited funds available. If you suddenly open that up to everyone globally and say, hey, you can buy this genome sequence or you can buy this formula that helps to diagnose algorithmically like cancer in these images, like wh whatever part of the puzzle that you decide to invest in, and then potentially then we'll even see a return if it then becomes mainstream and is a breakthrough that actually drives real value. I think it's super exciting. So you're going to see these different models where people now can self-fund projects that potentially have real world value and really actually accelerate innovation. The other thing I've seen is social enterprises. And so there's tons of social enterprises that are trying to do good all around the world humanitarian efforts, education, financial literacy, or just to name a few. And I think, again, all of them previously relied on donations or corporate sponsors. Whereas now, if you're opening it up, you're saying, hey, we've got an NFT that, yeah, it is a sponsorship, but this token could potentially appreciate depending on XYZ mechanics that we build into our tokenomics. Or it gives you access to, let's say, a summit or gives you access to the individuals that are going through these programs. I think there's a lot of like really interesting innovation there that can help to drive these groups to actually provide more value. And again, remove the existing model of kind of this top-down approach where you have to have really expensive leadership running a charitable organization and, and then flip it on its head and, and, and crowdsource the funding and, and crowdsource even the voting mechanism. So you have these centralized authorities and organizations, these DAOs that are spinning up. And so again, you can buy an NFT that becomes a vote 
to be able to actually decide on the direction of the funding that has been raised and, and how it's deployed. And again, I think this makes the whole space more accessible, more transparent, and hopefully will drive more value. Absolutely. The other use case that's been really interesting is like I'm involved in the art space and I'm, I'm an advisor for a nonprofit in the, the dance and art space. And I just think like, the ability for a creator, like let's say somebody who was painting, like previously their only income was they sold the painting once and that was the only way they could participate. But so like the mechanism and the concept of being able to like participate every time, like to gain some type of income every time there's a transaction or the concept of like sharing dividends to people that own your token, I think is so fascinating and like the relationships that it opens up. I wanted to ask one more to, to sort of follow up to give some people some final direction so tactically, if somebody wanted to transition into the blockchain crypto industry, like what would be the next or most immediate steps that you would encourage them to do if they wanted to like, yep, like this was an awesome conversation. I am interested in exploring more further opportunities. Like what would be their most immediate steps? Yeah, so I, I think first things first, get familiar with the products. Dino the blockchain.com wallet, Dino some of our competitors, actually try out firsthand, right? The number of candidates that I interview that have not even gone through the process of signing up and downloading our app or even a competitor's app and parting with 10 pounds or $10 is kind of mind blowing. I think that takes you five, 10 minutes and you gain a lot from that experience and you can provide real feedback then on the product experience. So I think first things first is on the product level, you should understand the market. So try out some of the top and leading companies and, and try their product experiences because there are a lot of nuances here. So for example, in our case, we're not just a custodial offering with regulated products, we're also a non-custodial offering. You can hold your own private keys, you can interact on chain. That kind of paradigm is very different to your traditional banking app or your Venmo or your Square. Like you really need to like understand okay, the technical complexity there of like bridging this gap between these two worlds. So I think try products, get familiar with the space and understand who are kind of the leaders in that. That's great. And, and the follow-up question to this really, and, and you can also choose not to answer this, but uh, are there any like locations that are, are hot right now in terms of like creating different types of crypto organizations? Like I know New York and Miami are in this like competition of whose mayor can take the most amount of salary. Like El Salvador has Bitcoin as legal tender. You have Wyoming passing crypto friendly legislation. Are there any hot locations right now that you'd have people pay attention to? Totally. Yeah. I, I think that actually um, there's some really exciting opportunities in Africa, like Nigeria, Kenya, there's a ton of really interesting investment going in there. Suddenly kind of VCs are waking up to actually there's great talent, there's great teams, great projects. And cryptocurrency is a real enabler for, for kind of a fragmented infrastructure that, that actually it's not kind of a marginal improvement, it's a step change to how people can transact on a global scale. So I think that would be a, a one to watch and, and definitely one to, to look into. Fantastic. So Lewis, a couple quick rapid fire questions. What are you reading or listening to right now? The book title is slightly strange, but it's a first rate madness. And it's basically the link between leaders and mental illness. I'm really into kind of psychology, obviously leadership and really understanding what works, what doesn't and, and how people are able to gain kind of large followings. And yeah, this book kind of takes you on a journey of like some of the greatest leaders in history. And, and actually so many of them had some kind of mental illness or symptoms of it. So it's like an interesting kind of crossover, psychology, leadership, and, and impact. And in terms of listening, I actually listen to a lot of podcasts. And so whenever I'm kind of taking my puppy for a walk, I'll, I'll try and listen to something on the go. And aside from this podcast and, and blockchain.com's podcast, I, I think like the Knowledge Project, 
Zero Knowledge and Hidden Forces are probably three of, of my most listened to podcasts. And they have like a wide array of content from very crypto native to more kind of mental models for, for how to think and be effective. And then like science, technology, and finance. Do you have a favorite or most powerful question that you ask or like to be asked? Well, I think we've kind of referenced this. Like, are you ready to go all in? That, that's the question that really gets people thinking and yeah, decides whether you're going to take that step forward. I love the intensity behind that question so much, Lewis. That's fantastic. <laughs> all right, la last question to, to wrap us all up. Is there a, a quote that you live by or a quote that's resonating with you right now? I think the one that I live by is just fell fast, fell often. Like I, I love the fell fast mantra mentality and it really kind of plays to the startup space, the crypto industry, any industry that's trying to disrupt and move fast, like everyone is learning. No one has all the answers and should not proclaim to. And I think the only way to learn is to go through failure multiple times over. If, as long as you are kind of focused on that mindset and making sure that nothing is going to be perfect, things change too fast to kind of try and reach perfection, get 80% away, ship it, ship it, get product feedback, get user feedback. You're going to fail. Some products won't work. Some features won't work. You're going to bring down production multiple times. Like these things happen, but you learn from each case and hopefully won't make the same mistakes again. Fantastic. Lewis, thank you for an incredible conversation and, and being the person to help demystify for us what different careers and engineering leadership is like in the, the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. Thank you for being just so generous with your time. We really appreciate it. Here's a quick recap of a couple of our takeaways from our conversation with Lewis Tuff. First, some of the core principles that drive the blockchain crypto space, decentralization, the democratization of finance, and making financial infrastructure more accessible, interoperability, and open access to platforms. Some of the core characteristics for success in blockchain, you don't need to be a domain expert. You have to have innate technical curiosity and the ability to research, and you have to have a core understanding of the core concepts and constraints behind the technology. It is a vast and rapidly changing space. You might not be able to be an expert in the end-to-end -end stack, so discover your specific area of interest and then cultivate side passion projects to keep up with different trends. There's a lot of space in the industry, especially for folks with experiencing abstracting complexity and creating great product experiences. And in fact, the same principles for leading high-performing teams are the same, even though the principles and technology may be different. It's not too late to get into the blockchain crypto space. If you're curious at all about the space, the first thing you should do is try out and experiment with some of the products and technology. Many projects are being built open source. Check out the open source projects on GitHub to get exposure to the technology. It's also a great place to source talent. And if you're wondering, am I ready to make the transition into a new industry like crypto? Ask yourself the forcing question, am I ready to go all in?